have your Bibles, why don't we go to the book of Philippians together, and if you'll join me there in Philippians chapter 3, where we've been on Sunday mornings, we left off last Sunday morning in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 3, and if you do need a Bible, again, the gentlemen have some in the aisle, so feel free to slip your hand up and take a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, please certainly keep that, hang on to it. We want you to have a copy of the Word and hope you bring your Bible to church. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 10, right where we left off, and we'll go down as far as verse 16. And if you're turned there together, would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read our passage of Scripture this morning? Philippians 3, beginning in verse 10, Paul declares, "...that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me." Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. And Father, we humbly ask, as always, for your assistance as we open the Word of God this morning. Lord, just by faith, acknowledging that, Lord, this book's like no other book on this planet, Lord. It's not just black and white ink and paper and something written by the thoughts of some creative man, but, Lord, it is your will and your word breathed out by your spirit. It's alive and powerful. And so, Lord, we want it to be, as you said it would, sharp as a two-edged sword, to be able to divide between what is soulish and spiritual, to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts this morning, and that, Lord, what you spoke in your word, originally you would use this morning to speak into our hearts. Presently, Lord, powerfully just minister to us, we pray, through your Holy Spirit's ministry. Prepare us, make us alert and attentive, and help us to hear what you want to say to each one of us individually this morning. And we ask you to bless your word now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, whether it's the aspects of just physical life, or maybe business, or even relationships, one of the essential ingredients for health, and I think on top of that, one of the clear indicators of health would be the word progress. One of the essential ingredients for health, and many times one of the clear indicators of health, is progress. And when you look up the word progress, it's basically defined as forward or onward movement developing into a more advanced stage. So again, whether it's physical life and the development of a body and the human existence of, of physical life, whether it's you know, business, whether it's relationships, progress is both essential and revealing. 
It's essential and revealing. And the same is true in spiritual matters. Progress is an essential ingredient for spiritual health. At the same time, progress is also a clear indication of spiritual health. And if you've noticed in what we're reading together this morning in our next passage, spiritual progress in our relationship with the Lord seems to be the agenda at hand for what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us at this point. This is a passage about spiritual progress in our relationship with the Lord. Now remember the backdrop as we're picking up here in verse 10 this morning. Paul in the prior verses we looked at together has just spoken of his own experience in regards to becoming right with God. In the last nine verses, basically, Paul was describing how he discovered after many years that becoming right with God personally was not found, remember, in strict adherence to keeping religious rules or following after rituals or offering to God religious effort. But Paul said in his own testimony there that he had discovered and realized what God intends for us to become right with him is for us to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. To come to experience Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior in a relational way, in an experiential way, that we would forsake any self-righteous efforts we may have sought to put forth or thought maybe even we needed to offer to God to make ourselves acceptable or to, to get ourselves right with God somehow, that we would realize that we need to forsake those religious efforts of self-righteousness and instead embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and accept Jesus Christ in his lordship over our lives. And more than that, accept what Jesus is offering to us, not trying to offer something to God other than our faith and our belief by exercising that faith to receive what God wants to offer to us, the gift of God, which is eternal life. That's what Paul, remember, was kind of climaxing and ending with there in verse 9 where he says, to be found in him, remember what he said? Not having my own righteousness. In other words, uh, to be found relationally, positionally in a relationship with Jesus not having my own righteousness where I say, here, God, here's what I've done. Here's what I'm doing. Therefore, does that make me right with you? He says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law or keeping ritual or routines of religious life, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he says, it's not offering God my righteousness. It's actually receiving the righteousness of God, receiving a righteousness that God offers to us, whereby God makes us right and makes us righteous through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. And he says the way that we become right with God, he says there and receive the righteousness of God is by faith. Uh, again, the, the important idea here of that we are accepting something from the Lord by entering into a personal experience of a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And again, the Bible pictures spiritual life many times as a marriage, as a marriage between us and Jesus Christ. That salvation experience is like we enter into a spiritual marriage. And would you agree? Marriage is not intended to be like a one-time contract, uh, like a real estate contract where you make a deal and then you part ways and have nothing to do with each other ever again. You just make a deal and then that's it. 
we made our deal. I don't ever want to interact with you again. That's not marriage. I hope it's not your marriage anyway. If, if not, just call me. We'll have counseling this week. Marriage is an ongoing relationship where you initiate a relationship and you have ongoing interaction and continuous intimate ongoing relational experience from that point forward again the same idea spiritually is what god intends for us in relationship with his son jesus christ it's like a marriage in fact romans 7 4 says that we have been married to jesus it tells us in first corinthians eleven twelve that as christians we have been betrothed to one husband as a virgin to christ so in the salvation experience God washes us clean from our sin. He purifies us through the blood of Christ. And we, in a sense, come to Jesus like a pure virgin bride, brand new. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And we, like a virgin bride, come down the aisle. And we present ourselves in a love relationship to Jesus. And we enter into a lifelong relationship with him where we continue to have intimacy and fellowship. So the idea is salvation is the, is, is the initiation of that relationship. But then there is to be, like a marriage, ongoing, continuous, intimate relationship with the Lord, progress moving forward in that relationship. So Paul, in light of that, tells us here in verse 10, he says, now that I found Jesus, now that I know Jesus as my Lord, he says, verse 10, now he says, my desire is that I may know him more deeply the idea is that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So Paul describes here in verse 10 his driving passion as a man who had met Jesus Christ through a salvation experience and now knows him as Savior and Lord. Paul says, my longing now that I've met him, my longing now is that I might know him. And when you look at the word know that Paul uses there in the Greek, because there are multiple terms that are translated know in the English from the Greek, it's that term from the original Greek language which does not describe just gathering intellectual information, but it actually describes gaining an intimate awareness through experience. The difference being this. You study what a book says, you listen to a lecture in class that's getting information. When you do the lab... You then experientially, hands-on, you have an experience. Oh, now I understand this more because I'm experiencing what I've just learned intellectually. That's the idea here. Not just getting intellectual information, Paul's saying, I don't want to just know more about Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. I want to know Jesus in an experiential way. It refers to having an ongoing experience with someone that leads to a deeper understanding of who they really are and this is what paul wanted to get to know jesus in that intimate way to deepen in his understanding of jesus as his own lord again if we illustrate via marriage when when you first get married you do know a person on a level now you think typically you know them on a level much more than you discover later on uh, that you but you know them on a level but truth be told over the years of marriage, as you live and experience life together in an ongoing, intimate, close relationship, would you agree you get to know your spouse in a whole different level of intimacy? 
You get to know them on a whole deeper level and you know them in ways that astonish how much you actually know them in comparison to the way that when you first met them. Well, again, the same idea with Jesus. It's like a marriage relationship. We should be in a process through ongoing relationship of walking with him where we get to know Jesus on deeper and deeper levels, where we get to know him on, on a more thorough manner and in, in a more intimate way. Again, if I can emphasize, it's not just learning facts about the person of Jesus. God help us if the only reason we read our Bibles or show up here on a Sunday morning or to get together on a Wednesday night is just to get more intellectual information about the person of Jesus. If we have reduced our reading and our study and learning of the Word of God to nothing more than an intellectual exercise where we can quote more Bible verses, we're missing the whole point. The purpose of the Word of God is revelation that would lead to personal response in our lives. The will of God is not just that we would have more intellectual information about Jesus through Bible study. God's will is that we would be having, listen, interaction with Jesus. Certainly that comes through the word of God as one of the means, but God wants us to have interaction with Jesus on a personal relational level. So the driving passion, hear me, of a healthy Christian should be someone who is interested in getting to know Jesus more. An indication of a healthy Christian life is a genuine interest to really want to continually get to know Jesus better. And can I bring to your attention, as we look at the Apostle Paul's words and example here, in case you're not aware, at this point, as Paul pens these things, this is 30 years after his initial conversion. Now, take into consideration that reality. Consider, it has been 30 years since Paul was converted on that Damascus road and met Jesus Christ. Would you agree when you study Paul the Apostle's life in the Bible? I would say, fair to say, that Paul had a pretty strong walk with the Lord. That he was a pretty solid and healthy Christian. He had a pretty fruitful and effective ministry. I would look at Paul and say, you know what? That's a pretty good example of what a solid man of God should look like. What a devoted Christian life appears to be. And what a fruitful ministry. And, and it is that man, again, here, that is expressing his inward sentiments 30 years after his Christian conversion and 30 years of fruitful Christianity at that, not stagnant, get saved and then just kind of, no, 30 years of fruitful Christianity that he's saying, but you know what? There is still so much more to know about my Lord. I know that there is still so much more of a deeper experience that I can have with him. And Paul desired, 30 years later, he's still desiring. He retained a desire to want to know Jesus more and more in every way that he could. And by way of application for us, we should seek to retain always a desire to want to know our Lord better, to want to know Jesus better. Man, if you're looking for a new goal in your life, there are five words right there in your Bible that you can underline. Here's a great life goal if you're a Christian. Underline those, those five words, that I may know him. You looking for a new goal? <laughs> There's a great goal, that I may know him, that I might know Jesus better. Really getting to know him on a personal and an intimate level. And Paul, notice as he goes on, is expressing here further 
what in a sense he's indicating by saying that he wants to know the Lord. First of all, he mentions in this verse that he might come to know Jesus more by experiencing his power in his life. You see what he says there in verse 10 in your Bible? He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul, through his relationship with Jesus, wanted to experience in his own life as a man that same supernatural and miraculous power that was exercised that raised Jesus back from the dead. And the Bible teaches, if we study our New Testament accurately, that through our lives being joined together with Jesus, like a marriage, the two become one flesh. And the Bible says that's the picture of us and Jesus. Romans 6, it's all about our lives have been joined with Jesus. We've entered into a marriage union with Jesus, that through our lives being joined together with Jesus and through Jesus living in us, Paul says it's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that we can, more than that, we should be experiencing the resurrection power of the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus Christ within our lives as we are walking with him and he is working in our lives on an ongoing basis through relationship. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 19 and 20. He prayed for the Ephesians that they might know, listen, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul told those believers in Ephesus, he says, I pray, I pray that you realize that you know that you come to know experientially that exceeding greatness of the power that raised Jesus back from the dead, that that is the same power that God has made available and wants to be operating and, and allowing you to experience in your own life, to know him in the power of his resurrection in our lives. You know, some of the reasons for coming to know the experience of Jesus' power, let me give you three of them briefly. First of all, victory over sin. That's what Romans chapter 6 is all about. That we might know the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might have victory over sin. The Bible says sin shall not have dominion over you. That we don't have to be slaves to sin. That the Spirit of God, through the power of the resurrected life of Jesus, can give to us, if we yield, if we cooperate and yield, power and victory over sin's control and grip over our lives. Again, maybe this morning, oh, I'm stuck in this habit. I can't overcome this. And, and, and just, yeah, you can't. But Jesus can. And do not listen to the devil that you must stay in bondage to some habit or addicted to some situation or circumstance. No, the Bible says that there is victory, deliverance, power, resurrection power to overcome sin and struggles, whatever it may be in your life. The Lord says it's available. He wants us to experience it. And it comes through getting to know him, through relationship with him, experiencing that. A second reason to experience Jesus' resurrection power is being conformed to the image of Jesus, becoming more Christ-like. The Bible talks to us about that in the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, how it's his power working in us that's transforming us to be more like Jesus, making us more Christ-like. And thirdly, another reason and way to experience his power is just an enablement and service for ministry. Romans 15 and many other passages speak about that as well. His resurrection power whereby we might be enabled to operate in the dynamic 
the endowment of the power of Jesus' Spirit to do the things that our Lord did as He uses our lives as vessels. And I hope this morning that we are to greater measures learning how to experience Jesus' power in our lives. That as a Christian, you're continually, progressively experiencing more and more the power of Jesus at work in your life as you get to know him. Secondly, he says, I also want to know him, Paul says, and this may not sound as attractive, he says, by experiencing suffering and pain, even as Jesus did. You see what he says in verse 10 as well? He says, I also want to know him, and I wish he didn't say it, but he did. Paul says, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Again, in Jesus' life as a man, Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was mistreated. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was let down. Jesus was you know, betrayed. Jesus endured painful experiences in a body of flesh as a man. And in the same way, we will experience as human beings, even as Christians, to some extent, pain and suffering in our lives to different extents and in different ways we will at times suffer as well first of all because we associate with jesus paul said back in the first chapter it's been granted to you on behalf of christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake and because you are a christian if you live faithfully with jesus christ in this world to some extent you will suffer for your christian faith you will be persecuted, you'll be mistreated, you'll be judged, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's co-workers. If you want to follow Jesus, to some extent, you will simply suffer because you choose to follow Jesus Christ in a Christ-rejecting, ungodly world. Secondarily, just because we live in a fallen world, it's cursed with sin and sickness and suffering. To some extent, we will all share in some measure of suffering in our lives, painful experiences, tragedies, heartaches, sickness, disease, car accidents, death, loss, you know, financial, we will all struggle to some extent, we will experience sufferings, and, and here's the thing, if you haven't picked up yet, when we go through difficulties, when we do suffer with things in our lives personally, it is in those hours many a times that we can come to know the Lord much more deeply in suffering, in painful experiences because he walks with us through the storm. In the valley of the shadow of death, we sense the shepherd is there with us. We rely on him. We have to learn how to cry out to him and depend on him in whole new ways. And there's a depth of fellowship and partnership in the suffering there's a fellowship of his sufferings as we suffer similar things even that jesus did and as we experience some of the same things our lord jesus did and we suffer there's some sense of wow lord this is what it's like this is what you experienced and and in the same way you know two cancer patients as they suffer the same thing there's a there's a partnership there's a or two people who've lost a loved one two people who can look into each other's eyes that both lost a spouse or two people who can say hey you're losing your mother i know what it's like when i was losing my mother and there's a fellowship in that there's an intimacy and a sharing the bible says look as we suffer through things there's an intimacy that we connect with jesus in a way as we go through the suffering as he's there with us, aiding us and assisting us. And Paul was mature enough to say, as we read here, I want to know Jesus so bad. Certainly I want to experience his power. Everybody wants to experience power, right? 
Paul says, I want to know him so much to the extent that he says, I am willing to embrace even some suffering in my life at times in exchange for those opportunities to get to know him a little more deeply because it was in that difficult hour that I got to know Jesus a lot more deeply than I did before it. And it was in the pain and the struggle that I got to know Jesus on a whole other level. And see, suffering can be a productive thing in our lives to facilitate a deeper level of understanding of who the Lord is. Suffering can facilitate a greater intimacy and closer relationship with the Lord in our lives. Paul also mentions here in these verses how he wanted to know Jesus by sharing in that experience of death to himself and living a new life that results in a resurrected life. See what he says in the remainder of verse 10? Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may then attain to the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's saying, look, I also want to know him in the sense where I can share in what that meant as Jesus died and rose again, where I can share in what it means to experience death to myself and living a new life as I'm raised back to life with Christ. And the Christian can encounter that both experientially now as well as literally and ultimately in his life. Experientially now, we are called to die to ourselves, right? We're called to die to ourselves and to live a new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 and 11, Paul says, we're always caring about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's the Christian experience now, right? Every day, Jesus says, do you want to come after me? Okay. He says, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul says to the Corinthians, I die daily. And that's part of the Christian experience. Dying to self, dying to the old life, so that we might live the new life in a resurrected experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a literal way, apart from the rapture, every one of us in this room, if you know Jesus Christ, apart from the rapture, we as believers will all physically die, yet we will live a new life, a resurrected life and a resurrected body. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about that in that chapter. That resurrected experience. Jesus said in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, look how Paul goes on. He then says in verse 12, not that I have already attained, he says, or am already perfected. Now take notice what Paul's doing here. He's making a declaration that he did not consider himself to have arrived in his spiritual life. Paul, this mature, fruitful, on-fire Christian, this apostle, this pastor, this missionary, Paul makes a clear declaration that he did not consider himself to have arrived in spiritual progress or in his relationship with the Lord. Again, keep in mind, 30 years in at this point, this is Paul. I can't emphasize that enough because I have to look at that and seriously search my heart and go, man, if Paul's saying that stuff, man, oh man, if Paul's saying that, what justification do I have? Because I am the furthest thing from what Paul is or will ever get close to what this man was when I read about his life in Scripture. And Paul is saying these things, I'm not, he says, it's not that I've already attained. The idea to attain means to reach 
Paul says, I haven't reached some spiritual pinnacle yet. It's not that I've attained or achieved some spiritual mark or I've accomplished or conquered something. Paul knew there was still so much more progress that he could experience in his spiritual life. He knew that as the Bible says, deep calls unto deep. And he says, man, the, the, the oceans of God, the things of his spirit, it's so much deeper than I've gotten to yet. And there's so much more that he could yet experience. There were deeper levels of spiritual intimacy with Jesus. He knew that there was more room to grow, more room to develop in his walk and relationship with the Lord. He says, I haven't attained. He says, nor am I already perfected. Paul indicates there, very important, that he did not believe in the possibility of sinless perfection. As some people like to try and say, that somehow after you get saved, you can arrive to some place where you don't sin anymore. Paul says, that's ludicrous. I am not already perfected. Paul understood that he still had flaws, imperfections. He was deeply aware of his own inconsistencies in his spiritual walk and relationship with the Lord. He expresses them in Romans chapter 7 very clearly. And this is a man, again, who the Spirit of God was giving understanding of the doctrine of justification. Paul understood what it meant to be righteous positionally in Christ, that he was righteous positionally before God in Jesus Christ. He just talked about that. But Paul also understood honestly and in humility, but I know in my daily practice, I still struggle with some things. I still say things sometimes I shouldn't say. I still act at times in certain ways that I shouldn't. I, I still think things that I know are contradictory to what the Spirit of God would have had me thought in my attitude. And, and Paul says, I haven't already perfected. I mean, I love the fact that he actually is honest enough to tell us, look, I haven't arrived yet. He says, I haven't attained. I'm not perfected. He says in verse 13, look, I don't count myself to have apprehended. Paul's clearly emphasizing, I still have room to go. I'm a work in progress. He's expressing here to you and I a sanctified dissatisfaction. A sanctified dissatisfaction. Saying there is still more. I'm not content. And Paul was not content to remain where he was. And you know what? The same really should be true for you and I. There should be a sanctified dissatisfaction inside of me as a Christian. Where I never become content to just remain where I'm at spiritually. It is a tragic, tragic and dangerous thing when a Christian starts to feel, whether consciously or subconsciously, that they've attained or that they've arrived because they've come to some place of spiritual maturity or they've been walking with the Lord X many years or so forth and as if somehow we've reached some pinnacle of spiritual living, some mark, and so we just kind of become satisfied with our present spiritual condition and, and we can always quote a Bible verse when we need to and we, we just kind of become complacent and content with where we're at and we, just, we almost kind of just start maintaining, playing status quo in our spiritual life. That's a dangerous thing. Again, one man said, in spiritual life, satisfaction is the grave of progress. Think about like of someone who runs a marathon. If you're running a marathon, especially if you're a front runner, and you become satisfied with your present condition, or you start even glancing back over your shoulder, rather than just looking ahead and pressing as hard as you can forward and continually trying to make ground, if you become content in a marathon and satisfied with your position, you will stop making gains and typically you will start slipping back and you will start losing ground. And the same is true spiritually in our lives. Paul says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. Verse 12, he goes on, but I press on, he says. 
athletic terms here, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Notice Paul had a responsive heart towards his calling spiritually as a Christian. No doubt in verse 12 here, he's reflecting on that very day that he was captured by Jesus. If you read Paul's conversion, Acts chapter 9 in the Bible, it reveals that his conversion, it was, it was exactly like that. Jesus just kind of laid hold of him. It was sudden. It was abrupt. Jesus Christ pursued him. He broke into his life. And Paul says, he just laid hold of me. When you look at the term he's using there to lay hold of, it literally could be translated to be captured or seized. Again, if you're a football fan, it's the picture of the idea. If you've ever seen somebody making a beeline, running real fast, and somebody's able to grab just the back of their jersey and voom, and just yank them down real fast. That's the idea. Jesus just, voom, he just grabbed hold of me. He didn't ask me, he just captured me. He just laid hold of my life. He broke into my world. He intervened, and Paul knew this experience. And I think for Paul the apostle, it never ceased to amaze him that Jesus pursued him and that Jesus chose him. And that Jesus, for whatever reason, intervened, took hold of his life powerfully, interrupted his course, saved him, forgave him, took hold of his life powerfully. And as a result of that, Paul says, you know what, man, there's something about that that motivates me. I want to now take hold of what it is he took hold of me for. I want to grab hold of and understand what he took hold of my life for. And I think it's almost this appreciative response in regards to the fact that the Lord took him and entered into his life in this appreciative way that Paul said, you know what, now I want to take hold of whatever he took hold of me for. Yeah, I know he saved me for heaven, but Paul says he certainly interrupted and took hold of my life for a much bigger reason on this earth right now than just letting me go to heaven after I die. Paul believed firmly that the Lord saved him for a specific purpose in his life. Now, presently. And for you and I this morning, if you're a Christian, the Lord has saved you and laid hold of your life for a purpose. Yes, he saved you to go to heaven. I understand that. Praise the Lord for that. But he saved you for something else as well because guess what? You ain't in heaven yet. You're still breathing. You're on this earth still. And you may still, if the Lord tarries, journey for months, years to come. And he didn't just save you to give you a ticket to hold in the back of your pocket to kind of just do it. No, he, he laid hold of your life. He knows you. He created you. He gave you the gifts, the personalities. He made you exactly the way he wants you. And he took hold of your life and he plucked you out of the fire and he took you out of the devil's camp. And he says, no, I'm drafting you into the Lord's army because I have missions for you to accomplish. I have things for you to do. Listen, your life has purpose. It has two purposes. One, that the Lord might work in you to conform you to the image of Jesus, but secondarily, that the Lord might work through you. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 very clearly that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, before God even saved you, God was going, looking at Kevin. He's going, man, when we save Kevin, whew, do you know what we can do with him? When, when, when we save Paul, when, when, when we save John, whoa, when we, oh, when we save Pete, oh my goodness, Pete, can you imagine? Whoa, whoa, what we're going to do with him? Well, I got some good works that he can accomplish. And God, in advance, was preparing how he was going to work through your life. 
And he's got an agenda and an idea and he's just saying, if you seek me, if you spend time with me, I'll keep showing you the blueprint. I got things for you to do. I took hold of you for a purpose. Not just so you can go to heaven one day. I want to use you now to get other people into the kingdom, to serve people, to love people, to be different, to reveal me. Listen, Paul's saying here, have you gotten complacent spiritually? Have you stagnated in your relationship with the Lord? The Bible says we've got to work out our own salvation. And he says we've got to press on. There's more to take hold of still. If you stop pressing on, the Lord is saying, look, don't forget, the, I took hold of your life. Now try and take hold of what I took hold of you for. Seek to find out in every way the intent and purpose of what my calling on your life, you, yeah, you, I took hold of you for a purpose. Now, now you take hold of it as well. Take my hand and let's explore and discover every reason why I saved you. And all the things I want to do with your life, it makes life have purpose. People who aren't saved and don't know Jesus, they're really living a very purposeless existence. They're trying to make up purposes for their lives. That's why they're so empty and frustrated. That's why they're so unfulfilled. Because they're trying to figure out when God has a plan and a purpose. And when you step into that, it has a level of fulfillment that is much more gratifying. And God wants us to take hold of all that he took hold of us for. Paul goes on, verse 13, again, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. Again, he's, he's reiterating again that same thought. Despite any progress I've made, Paul says, I know I'm not all I should be as a Christian yet. I, I appreciate that as a spiritual leader, he's so honest in relation to who he is. He, he's, I, I realize... I've made progress, but I admit I haven't taken hold. I haven't apprehended everything that I could apprehend. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here Paul shows us, I believe, how a person is supposed to and how they can press on in their spiritual life. You get insight here into Paul's daily decision of the way he lived out his life. You can see here in verse 13 that Paul had a definite approach to his spiritual life. He had committed to do something every day of his life. What was that? Well, verse 13, again, he says, This one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what's ahead. Notice, one thing I do. Paul could have been involved in lots of different things. In some senses, he was. But Paul shows a real key to spiritual intimacy to spiritual fruitfulness to spiritual progression and that is continuously learning how to have a simplistic approach to your life to, to learn how to just sort of you know simply focus in on a singular goal paul says this lots of things i can do but this one thing i do this is one thing that now again and paul keep in mind took this idea of remaining focused from Jesus because Jesus used the same term more than once. He got the idea from Jesus. Jesus to Martha said, Martha, one thing you still lack, or excuse me, this is to the rich young ruler. He said, one thing you still lack, sell all you have, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. What was he telling the rich young ruler? One thing you still lack. That is, there's something in front of me in your life still. For him, it was wealth and riches. For other people, it's other things. But he says, the one thing you still lack, one thing, again, there's that idea again, you need to dethrone the idol in your life and put me 
on the throne of your heart and then begin to live your life that way. He told Martha, as I said a moment ago, who was, remember, bothered and frazzled by all the different works she was doing, he said, only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen the better thing. What was the one thing? Intimacy with Jesus. Lots of things, but he says, but only one thing is really needed in your life. You know, lots of things we can do, but he says, there's only one thing that's really needed in your life. That's your relationship with me. Because, see, the truth of the matter is everything then flows out from that. If we focus on that one thing of getting to know him and, and staying in right relationship with him, out of the overflow of the heart, the issues of life flow from there. And Paul says, therefore, in my relationship with the Lord, he says, I, I want to press on. I want to go forward. So he says, in order to do that, one thing I have to do. And it involved, notice, sort of a dual decision. He said, forgetting those things which are behind Please keep in mind, when the Bible uses the term to forget, it does not mean to fail to remember or to miraculously kind of block out your memory. It's, it's, God understands that's not possible. When God uses the term forget in the Bible, it means to no longer be influenced by, to no longer be affected by something that has happened in the past. You know, God doesn't miraculously forget my sins and my mistakes. He chooses to no longer remember my sin. He no longer is affected by and deals with me. He's no longer influenced by my past sin because of the blood of Jesus. He's chosen to remember my sins no more. Same idea for you and I. Paul's saying here, I consciously choose not to remember the past, the things that are behind. He says, I make a daily decision. I continually choose not to dwell on or to live in the past. He says, I daily choose to just let go of it. To just let it go. To let go of those things which are behind. Now, for Paul, that's important because his past sin could have really condemned him. Do you remember Paul's past life? He murdered and put to death and arrested Christians. He could have lived very crippled and paralyzed because of some really raunchy and rotten things he did in his past. So for him to forget his past sin was really important. At the same way, it was also important for him to forget his past spiritual accomplishments because Paul could have very easily, as many fruitful experiences have happened, if he would have rested on his laurels of all the good things he experienced, that would have made him stagnate. He would have just rested on his spiritual laurels of all the good things he'd done. I have, to, I have to leave what's behind behind and keep looking forward, Paul says. And the same for you and I. How important that we learn to forget our past. That we learn how to choose not to remember. Some people are always looking back, dwelling in the past, living in the past, and it cripples them today. Dwelling on their past sins and failures. And, and they just cannot get beyond what they did, how they failed, and, and it, it paralyzes them. Some people cannot move beyond being influenced of the past hurts, of things that have happened, disappointments, bad things, wrong things, evil things that do happen. And some people are paralyzed, crippled, and cannot function because they can't let go of what happened in the past. Some people are so caught up in glorying in the good old days of their past successes or what they used to do for the Lord or, oh, I remember being a part of you know, that group and, oh, and the Spirit of God moved so powerfully and that was so wonderful. And they're so busy rejoicing in the good old days, they're ignoring, well, what is God doing in this day? What does God want to do today? 
And see, it is a critical, essential thing for us to realize, to live in the past and focus on what's behind and be influenced in it. It only distracts us. It only discourages us. Jesus said no one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hey, my encouragement to you this morning in love as it is to my heart as well, some of you today have to stop dwelling in and being influenced by your past. That was then. This is now. You got to let it go. You got to really let it go. Completely release it to the Lord and perhaps you've stalled out spiritually because you're still trying to live in yesterday or you're letting what happened yesterday influence you in such a way today. It's hindering you from doing what Paul says, second part, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. See, that's critical. Let go of the past and reach forward to things ahead. A lot of times people can't take hold of the new thing God wants to do in their life because they're still clutching the past. You got to let go of that so that you can reach forward and see what God has ahead and take hold of the next thing. And Paul speaks of how he needed to do this in his life. He knew there was more ahead. He was focusing on the future and so with us. We have to be reaching continually forward in our spiritual lives. By that I mean very simply remaining current with the Lord. Looking forward in our walk and relationship with the Lord to what God has around the corner. Reaching out, receiving His grace for the mistakes we've made. Receiving His grace and forgiveness. And listen, getting up and marching on. And receiving His healing and His comfort for the wounds and the hurts and the pain and the scars. And receiving His healing and then reaching forward to what's ahead now. And the thing that God has in the next season. And focusing on the present work of the Spirit. What's the Lord doing in your life today? What does the Lord want to do right now in this season? Paul says reaching forward. The best way we can break the power of the past is by just living for the future. And everything I believe in my life and our lives as Christians that God wants for us and we want is really always ahead of us. It's in our future. It's in our future. And I understand. Listen, before I move on, I know some people look at a passage like that and they're hearing me say these things and they're saying, you know, all that sounds good. You know what? That, I understand. I hear what you're saying. But you don't understand. I just can't. I can't do that. I, I, just, I try. I can't. Listen, Paul says this one thing I do. It was a choice. It was a determination. It was a resolve. It was a resolution. This is something I do. And listen to me, you can. You can. If you resolve to do it, God will give you the grace, give you the power, and he will allow you to experience what his word says for you. And it's something that he will enable you to do if you make the commitment to do exactly what's necessary of releasing what's behind and reaching forward, turning the corner for what's ahead. Paul says, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, he uses that term press again. He's, he's indicating here the exercising of determination. That word press that Paul uses there, in the Greek it refers to an intense endeavor, putting forth effort. It literally speaks of how in running a race, 
the, the participant would strain forward their chest, you know, at the end, doing everything they can to exercise determination and effort to try and succeed and experience victory. That's the picture there, of pressing determination. And the Bible pictures the Christian life like a race that we run. The Bible says, let us cast aside every you know, weight and sin that ensnares us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. Again, we're not competing. That's not the idea. We're, we're following an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're pressing toward that prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The picture in the Bible, again, there, what's the goal? It's crossing the finish line and entering into glory. What's the prize? It's the reward that the Lord gives to us. And it's like when the, the Christian life begins, the starting gun goes off, and God hands you the spiritual baton for your lap of the race. And he says, now you run your leg and you run it well, as hard as you can. Put everything you can into it. And you will be rewarded according to how you run your race as you press with determination. And the implication here is that as a Christian, we have to employ a measure of determination in our spiritual life. It's what the Lord calls us to do, to exercise some determination. Would you agree, wouldn't it be astonishing if we as Christians sometimes put as much determination into our spiritual life and development, if we put as much determination and dedication into our relationship with the Lord as we do lots of other things, our education, our vocational pursuits, some hobby we really like, or whatever we're putting our hand. Listen, Americans, of all people, we know how to be determined. We know how to be dedicated. And, and Paul here says, yeah, take that, and he says, press toward the prize that you'll receive when you cross the finish line, that upward call of God in Christ. We have an upward call. Set your mind on things above, says, not on things of the earth. Determination in our spiritual commitment. Hey, this morning, great to ask yourself, what's your goal in life right now? What is it? Paul says, press toward the goal. What's the goal? Great thing to make our goal is that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I want you to take note here. Paul says, verse 15, that this is actually a mature mindset spiritually. He says, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. What mind? Very simply, everything he's just been talking about in the prior verses. Paul says, this is a way, a commitment to continuous progress spiritually being determined to grow in your relationship with the Lord, he says, that is a mindset of maturity. So I can measure my maturity. I can, I can aspire towards greater maturity. I want to really mature in the Lord. Well, all I got to do is go back to verses 12, 13, and 14. That's how I can aspire towards maturity, by walking out those things. I find it interesting, Paul says, verse 15, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you? Do you see what Paul's doing there? Paul did not feel he had to force people to agree with him if they didn't agree with what he was saying. I like this here because if people thought otherwise or they didn't agree with the truth that Paul was presenting, Paul didn't take it personal and he didn't feel compelled to push and pressure to persuade people to agree with what he was trying to tell them even though it was true. Instead, 
Paul trusted that God was fully able to reveal to other people what they needed to know and understand in his own way and in his own time. Paul trusted in the same way God radically intervened in his life as a man and turned him around. Paul said, you know what? I trust and believe that God can reveal to people where they are wrong in thought and that God can reveal to them what is right instead. He shows us his understanding that each person experiences spiritual progress, listen, at their own pace. In some ways, you might want to say it's at God's pace. Because Paul says here, even he says, if you think otherwise, in other words, Paul, we don't agree with it. If you think otherwise, Paul says, God will reveal to you. God will reveal. Hey, what a great encouragement this morning for us as we want to see people make spiritual progress beyond ourselves to realize, listen, God can reveal things to people. God can reveal to them what's wrong. God can reveal to them what is right. Let God do his job. Present the truth. But you don't have to take it personal and you don't have to push and... Paul says, uh, if you think otherwise, hey, that's okay. I trust God will reveal to you what is right. Paul concludes verse 16 by simply saying, in summary, nevertheless, to the degree that we have attained, in other words, whatever progress we have made, he says, let us agree to at least walk by the same rule. Paul says, look, whatever progress we have made, God does hold us accountable for what we do know. We may all be at different paces, but he says one thing that's true, we never have an excuse for going backwards or stagnating. What God has shown us and where we have developed to, let us at least walk that out, he says. Let us at least walk in the light and revelation that God has given to us. Hey, this morning, by way of encouragement, can I ask you, are you making spiritual progress? You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Evaluate. Right now, today, are you making spiritual progress? Do you this morning have a strong desire to know Jesus more deeply? Maybe the way you once did, but maybe you don't. Do you have a strong desire to really want to know Jesus? This morning, are you willing to let go and forget those things which are behind and determine instead to reach forward to those things which are ahead? If the answer to those things is not what you want, as we sing this last song, can I encourage you, just right where you're at, respond to what the Spirit of the Lord may be speaking to your life about.